Welcome everyone to this live episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady and I am here with Nancy LeMaster. Nancy is the committee chair from the Institute for Supply Management on the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report. She joins us each month to talk about what is happening in the healthcare industry and in the hospital in particular. And because of COVID, there have been some wild rides in that purchasing managers index and the purchasing managers, frankly, I don't know how they're keeping their sanity, Nancy. It has been, yes, a very, very wild ride. I think we owe a debt of gratitude to the dedicated healthcare professionals along with the clinicians that are helping us get through all of this. But as you said, oh my gosh, was November a blockbuster month? I mean, if we look at the indexes related to growth, the PMI itself was 64.5, up 1.1 from the prior month. And every one of the growth-related indexes is the highest it's been in 2021. So we had the PMI, and that was fueled by the business activity being at 69.5, up 2% from October, which was already a high month. Um, New orders, strong again, 68.5, up 3%. So not only are we busy, we've got people waiting in the wings and the backlog went up yet again to 70.5. So, you know, there's there's was huge demand in, in November and it was really driven by a mix. You know, in previous months, we've talked about the fact that, you know, it was COVID, COVID, COVID. Um, right. What we saw this month was more regional. So we definitely are still seeing way more COVID cases than we would like. And in certain parts of the country, you know, you may have seen that even the National Guard has been called in to help relieve some of the healthcare workers because the, they're so overwhelmed. Um, but what we also saw was some seasonal mix. So it's not unusual, well, pre-COVID, it wasn't unusual to see a lot of elective procedures in you know, October, November, December, that fourth quarter. And we did see that um, as well as the beginning of some flu. So the volume was kind of driven from all angles, very much based on where in the U.S. you were located. Um, and so there were spots where you know, they were overwhelmed with COVID and they were deferring elective procedures, but there were a lot of areas that the elective volume was up considerably and that was driving their numbers, their volume. Let's talk about the business activity index. What drives that? What's it comprised of for our listeners and viewers, Nancy? Right, so that's looking at the activity in the hospital, okay? So primarily you're looking at inpatient, beds, what we call census, the number of patients in the hospital, but you're also looking at outpatient procedures and emergency department volume. So it's kind of everything that's happening today, whereas the new orders are what's on the schedule. So that's where we're looking at, you know, scheduled procedures, you know, in times, there are times situations where people come into the hospital in a scheduled manner versus an emergency manner. So that's what your new orders are looking at. Let me just ask you, the manufacturing purchasing managers index can go below 50 when we're in a recession. The services can go below 50. Can the hospital industry see a recession? It can, but it's unusual. So what we saw, if you go back and look at the data, so 
We started gathering the data in April of 2018, but we didn't make the report public until um, in um, August of 20, let's see, 2019, I think it was. Anyway, no, 2020. So we had all of the data around the, the hit the COVID pandemic. And what we saw was in those early months, think February, 2020, March, 2020, when we knew the virus was coming and they canceled elective procedures, but there was a lag between the actual hospital demand, kind of, you know, people get the virus, then they get sicker, then they end up in the hospital. So when you went back to those couple of months, we did see a below 50, but that was about the only time in the history. Generally, there's enough ongoing demand. You know, you may get a month, right, where maybe you've got a really, because the index measures month over month growth or decline. So you could get a month where, you know, they may say, uh, census was really down this month, but it's it's more unusual. We're usually in the growth range in the hospitals. But one of the things I'm really, really concerned about in terms of capacity is staffing. If you looked at the employment number um, in November, it only grew by a half of a percent. So it's at 41.5. It's been contracting for five months now. So unlike manufacturing and services, where the last, I think, three months, we've seen some growth in the employment number, the hospitals aren't seeing that. Um, and that's a real concern in terms of, of being able to take care of that demand. So you could, in theory, see some of the elective procedures canceled because there's not enough staff to take care of them. So that, you know, that's where I mentioned in some states they're bringing in uh, the military, the National Guard, the you know the people that are trained healthcare professionals from the branches of the service are providing respite for the workers as we're trying to keep them from quitting. I mean, I actually went and looked at the um, the U.S. the Bureau of Labor, and they said between February of 2020 and I believe it was October of, of this year, a half a million healthcare workers left the industry. Ooh. And that's why, well, you know, we've seen strong volume, except for those first two months since then. So a, a lot of pressure mm -hmm. on the, both the cost of labor, right? As they hire temporary and traveling nurses, that kind of thing, and the, the general availability. So that's, um, I think one of the really serious um, threats going forward for the hospital sector. Is there any indication where these half a million have gone to? Uh, well, that's I don't, a number. Yeah, I, and I don't know if there's any statistical knowledge. There probably is. Anecdotally, you know, if you're a non-clinical, if you're a supply chain tech or a food worker or a housekeeper, you know, you can go to Amazon or one of the warehouses and make $15, $18 an hour. And, and not be in the intense high-risk environment. For clinicians, um, there was a study done by the Intensive Care Unit uh, Professional Organization for Nurses. 66% said they were thinking about leaving the industry. I mean, it's staggering because of the burnout. Um, and in many cases, they can work in a lot of different industries, for, be it insurance, be it healthcare plan providers, or just with all of their skills, you know, they, they're very transferable. So, um, you know, if there's any good news in this, it's been some reports by 
nursing schools, by some of the uh, paraprofessional like um, lab tech type training programs, that they are seeing strong demand. So that's, that's encouraging. We've got to train up more people. And so that's my little silver light. <laughs> it's a little bit of light at the tunnel. Right. Nancy, what are the respondents saying? I know that you go out to the hospitals with a series of questions and they reply to you. What are their pain points at this point? So pain points are, are heavily in the supply area. So supply deliveries came in at 78.5 in November. That is down 1% 1, 1 from October, which was the all-time high since um, April of 2018. So the supply chain slowing um, and the deliveries has caused them to increase inventory again. In, in November, it jumped 6.5%. So we're up to 59%. Um, percent, the number, you know, the respondents saying that they're growing their inventory because they're worried about additional COVID, flu, you know, all of this demand, um, even though their inventory sentiment, they'll tell you they think it's too high, but they don't feel they can do anything else because you can't have the patients coming in and no supplies. Um, so a lot of that imports jumped 13 and a half percent in one month up to um, from contracting to growing um, and a lot of uh, verbal comments about the amount of effort it's taking to find alternative products, um, you know, th that ongoing demand because it's not just supply chain that's involved. You have to have clinical resources involved to make sure the products actually are clinically equivalent and can be used. Um, effectively. So that's where a lot of, you know, we've already got labor shortages and now we've got that pressure of vetting, um, vetting the availability and the clinical acceptedness of supplies. Nancy, I know that we have talked in the past about some national solutions to managing events like this. I don't know if you've heard any updates or if anything is becoming real or if it's still being kicked around the halls of Congress? You know, I think it's a little of both. A lot of kicking around still going on. <laughs> Discussions of things like prioritizing the offloading of ships that have medical supplies on them. Um, I think some of that. But I did find an interesting anti you know, uh, story that I thought I'd share with you. And that happened in Georgia. And they had six organizations, government, not-for-profit, for-profit, come together with the idea of could they prove that Georgia could once again grow cotton, they could turn the cotton into yarn, they could weave it into fabric, and that they could produce medical-grade scrubs. And they did that with some help from North Carolina, and they provided all of those scrubs to the rural hospitals in Georgia who are, are struggling greatly with the financial pressures going on. So I think there are some, um, I'd say proof of concept, some creative things going on out there. Um, sometimes it's hard to uncover them because they're you know, a little below the radar, but you know, we do have a lot of talented people out there. And I think there are experiments going on, especially these public-private partnerships. We can bring together government, for-profit businesses, not-for-profit organizations. I, you know, I think that's where our power is going to come because any one of these organizations doesn't have the full picture, nor do they have the full resources. So um, 
you know, I think there's some experimenting going on about how do we reshore, how could we profitably be able to produce some of these medical devices or drugs um, closer to home? Well, I think that's great. I, I would agree with you that the public-private partnership is part of the solution and probably a great part of it because in, the pri in private industry, one of your concerns is if we do this, will the government do that? Right. And oftentimes you find that out either during or at the very end of the process when you're trying to put a, mark, a product to market and then suddenly find that you can't. So I think working with the government and the government working with private industry and these solutions is terrific. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there is some, even some anecdotal evidence in pockets of America uh, right. where they're experimenting with these things. Uh, going, going forward, Omicron has uh, come on the scene. I'm not sure that we're hearing that the death rate from that particular strain is severe. What are you hearing in the hospital right now? You know, at, at this point, the hospitals are still dealing with Delta, the Delta variant. That's where we're seeing, in fact, that we're on the news. They said 1,500 people died on Friday. Delta variant, pretty much all unvaccinated. Um, we're still fighting that big fight um, and hoping that potentially, you know, the new variant will not be as deadly. I think that, again, kind of the, the hope out there, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, is that we haven't had as much coverage of it, but there are two antiviral drugs that the FDA is looking at. One has gotten emergency use authorization. I think the other will soon. I think they're from Merck and Pfizer, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But the idea behind those, kind of like Tamiflu, is that they can be given prescribed by a physician for a patient to take in their home to keep the virus from getting severe enough to need to go to the hospital. So if we can, if that plays out and those drugs are approved and they're as effective as the initial studies indicate they are, and we keep focusing on vaccination, you know, there is some hope you know, fueled with actual data that would say we might be able to cut back on the hospitalizations. But, you know, even, a, even a mild cases for people that are either not vaccinated or are compromised, you know, are, are serious. They're going to put more strain on the hospital system. Oh, no doubt. It's, it's incredible how much strain the system has been under. And I know we hear that peripherally in the news. Sometimes we hear a direct report, but I am always pleased to have this discussion with you, Nancy, because this is more boots on the ground, in-depth, here's what's really happening in the healthcare industry and in hospitals. Uh, looking forward going into December, uh, what's your feeling on how the hospitals are gonna be faring or, or is it again, as we have discussed so many times, it's just so unknown at this point and reflected in the report, there is a good guess. Yeah, I, I would say my best guess, you know, just based on conversations and history, is that December is going to be a very, very strong volume month. We're going to um, see numbers equal to or maybe exceeding December. I wouldn't be surprised unless we hit these capacity constraints that force hospitals to defer uh, either through because of shortages of staff or shortages of supplies. I think we're going to see um, some strength. One of the things I was going to share with you that was in the report, you might have noticed it, but it was really kind of interesting, had to do with 
the pricing. Um, and you know, all manufacturer service reports, pricing is up everywhere. So the price index for November hit 75, and that's the highest in 2001. But what was really kind of fascinating to me was the mix. So, you know, in the hospital report, we divide price into pharmacy, pharmaceuticals, and supplies. And, you know, when we first started uh, gathering data back in April of 18, so for 44 months, month after month, the pharmaceutical pricing has increased. And often it would be as high as 70 percent, you know, growth rates. But what was interesting this month was that pharmaceutical pricing was actually came in at 55, the lowest in 2021. And the huge jump has been in supplies. They hit 74 and a half. So over time, we have seen in the last year, our, the biggest price increases have moved from pharmacy price increases to supply increases. And that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Now, net dollars, hospitals still spend way more on, in general, on pharmaceuticals because of the intensity and the amount of pharmaceuticals used. But, but we are seeing that pharmaceutical prices are not growing at the rapid rate they were in uh, 2019 and 2020. But unfortunately, the supplies have gone up significantly. But that might indicate that, as the manufacturing report said, as the port congestion starts to get better and we offload the products that are in route into the market, we may see those supply prices come down again. And that's what we're definitely hoping. But I don't, we won't see that in December. I don't know, you know, hopefully next year, but it may be mid year. I think that the manufacturing indexes and service index reports have indicated they think we'll be well into 2022 before that starts to stabilize. Yes, clearly there's some still some port congestion. There are driver shortages. There are uh, carrier shortages. That There just aren't enough trucks to pull enough containers. Uh, one of the things that really popped in this report was imports. That really, really jumped. Now, in the face of the fact that they can't get it off the ship or out of the uh, of, of the yard onto the road and off to the hospitals, how did that number manage to jump so significant? Well, you know, imports and the perception of imports in the hospital report is definitely different than in the manufacturing report because hospital supply chain people buy a significant amount of their, their basic supplies, not their implants, but their basic supplies through distributors. And so their visibility to imports isn't as direct as it would be folks that are, are commenting on imports in the manufacturing survey. So you know, part of what can influence that number is when they're seeing a lot of product substitutions. And we talked about the fact that they are seeing those substitutions. So some of that may be legitimately, they are being substituted. We are now getting in. It may be from a secondary manufacturer. We've talked about that, um, you know, a, a, a different source, but they are definitely coming out of China or Asia or something like that. But it makes the hospital supply chain people more aware of the imports. So I always kind of watch that metric, but I also bump it up against the metric we get out of the manufacturing report because it's a more direct line of sight. Just like I think, you know, when the service report, when um, 
when they were releasing that, you know, the comment was made that again in the service sector, they aren't quite as in tune to import exports as manufacturer. So Tim, I'll, I'll fill you in on a couple of other metrics that came out of this report before we go on um, and wrap up. We do measure about three hospital specific metrics. In addition to breaking out price and the touchless orders we talked about, um, we look at case mix index, which is the severity of the patients. And that's been fairly flat. It was at 55.5 up 1%. Um, the days payable outstanding uh, actually went back into contracting, and we've talked about that. So that would say payer manufacturers are getting paid a little faster, um, but that metric bounces a lot. The one that surprised me, and we'll really keep an eye on it for December, is with the amount of volume and then the price pressure on both supplies and labor, the technology spend was at 52.5, telling us it's still growing. So we haven't seen the hospitals pull that lever yet where they've said that the margins are, are um, weakening and they're gonna cut back on investment in new technology, capital equipment, that kind of thing. So for December, we'll be watching the volume index and we'll be kind of looking at the proxy metrics that give us an idea of how the margins are being impacted by the COVID-19 versus the elective procedures. Nancy, anything else that uh, you want to cover in this particular report before we wrap up here? It's been a terrific discussion, and there's, gosh, I feel like I could talk for another hour on this. Well, thank you, Tim. I think we've covered the high points of, of the month, and, you know, we'll look forward to seeing what December delivers for us. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a, an interesting report next month, as they all are, and we certainly encourage our listeners to go to ismworld.org, where you can find this report. And while you're out surfing the web, stop at jacketmediaco.com so that you can see all of the other shows we produce. Nancy Lamaster, Committee Chair of the Institute for Supply Management, Report on Business for the hospital PMI. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Terrific. Thanks, Tim. And we appreciate all of our listeners and thank you for listening to this live episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.